You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. My guest this week is Dr. Luce Towns Miranda, best known as Lin-Manuel Miranda's mom. Luce is a board member of Planned Parenthood Action Fund, the Gilder Lerman Institute of American History, the American Theater Wing. She is a psychologist and psychoanalyst, and her career has focused on providing services to the underserved. She was appointed to the New York State Psychology Board, and she and her husband, Luis, have raised Luce Miranda Crespo, Lin-Manuel, and Miguel Towns. They have six grandchildren, and they live in Washington Heights. Luce is an activist and a philanthropist, and I'm so proud to call her a dear friend. Luce, you are here with me, finally, on Broadway Gives Back Podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Jan. It is such a pleasure to have you. I had your husband and your son on the podcast back in January, and I've been scheming to get you on here for the last few months. So we know each other pretty well, and I was wondering if I could ask you a few sort of rapid-fire personal questions so that our listeners can get to know you, too, and see what an amazing person you are. Shoot. Ready? Okay, yes. let's do this. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? Oh, I would want to be a butterfly, I don't want an insect, not an animal. Butterfly. Okay. What's your favorite time of day, sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Favorite food? I love lobster. Guilty pleasure. All things sugary. Yes, me too. Not chocolate, sugar. I love sugar. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. If you could use three words to describe yourself, what three words would you select? Grounded, thoughtful, and hardworking. Tell me one thing about yourself that nobody would guess is true. I can't think of anything that nobody would think it's true. P people pretty much know me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much, well, I, I think I'm an open book. I think people would be surprised by the fact that you love playing like games and using your, you know, you're on your phone all the time. Oh, I play words with strangers because most of my friends don't play words with friends. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
Um, what is your favorite Broadway show? And you can't say Hamilton in the Heights or Freestyle Love Supreme. I was blown away by Les Mis because when I saw it, I, oh, I, I thought of it as a woman's play, but my first play ever was Men of La Mancha, which again, I was focused on the woman. Dulcinea was just amazing to me and how she could be seen so differently. You know, and in this cancel culture, she certainly is very different. Mm-hmm. Dulcinea. Oh. Dulcinea. What do you most give a damn about? Um, my family's safety and happiness. And what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you've ever made in your life? Not uh, going to... On a trip with Luis to Israel many, many decades ago because I had gone somewhere else and I didn't think it would take the time from work. But it was a one-in-a-lifetime trip that I missed out on. There's so many things in your life that you could be proud of. Um, but one, name one of the things you're most proud of that's more personal to you. Well, I think having a really flourishing marriage is not an easy task. And it's something we've both worked hard at, which then benefits everybody in our family, which is wonderful. What TV sitcom or what Broadway show family would you want to be a member of? Schitt's Creek's family. I love <laughs> Schitt's Creek. They are just so wonderful. <laughs> That's so great. I love that show. It was so funny. I had this the same conversation with Marissa Jarrett Winoker, and she said the same thing. And I said for myself, it would probably be Osage, um, August Osage County. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> But listen, speaking of families, I want to I want to talk about you, but I want to talk about your incredible family first because you and Luis have co-created this incredible family and you have this amazing marriage. You guys are loyal, you're engaged, you're accomplished, you're giving, and most importantly, you're the most loving family that I think I know. And I just wondered what's the secret? What's the secret to having a family the way you have created your family? Well, I it, and this is psychological too. We keep each other in mind. We are constantly thinking about the other. And I think for Luis and I, we check in with each other at the beginning of the day, hardly ever during the day because he's too busy at the end of the day. And we do the same thing with the kids. We, you know, we we're constantly checking from the time they were little. Uh, but even now, keeping track of anything that's bubbling up, and how things are going in general. So when you say checking in, it's not just like, hey, how was your, is it, hey, how was your day? Or how are you feeling? Like, is it a different kind of check-in? I mean, well, most... no, what are you doing? You know, and looking for opportunities to get together. This past week, for the first time in a while, the four of us got together, went to lunch at the Rainbow Room, then went to see Chicken and Biscuits. And that family funeral reminded us of, our respective families, because at one point when Eluz's uncles had a, when he died, a, uh, an unknown daughter did show up at that funeral. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and the dynamics in your family are so special. I mean, you, you guys are just, you're so connected. And, and one of the things that you do as a family is you are philanthropists as a family and you are focused on doing good. It's part of like the DNA in your family. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how your family philanthropy works. Well, that that has been one of the blessings of Hamilton that we recognize the need to, to give back and are in that position. 
Um, and it's interesting because a lot of what we do is look at what we're most interested in and what our, what our lanes are. So I've got the lane that I've always been interested in, mental health, women and children. So I've been involved that way. And um, Lin-Manuel and Luis, well, Luis has been in politics, so his is a combination of political action that we all get caught up in as well. And then Lin-Manuel with the arts. Um, so there have been um, different programs that he's funded and initiatives that he's started. Like he was very concerned during the pandemic to raise money for Broadway Cares. He knew he knew how hard hit the Broadway community had been. But even you know Sita and Louis, they are involved in the philanthropy. And Vanessa, I mean, you do this as an entire group, and you right. know I've seen it for years. We we actually have uh, biannual meetings around what our projects are and where they're headed and what what's involved with them, how they're doing. So we get together, each of us discuss our, our particular projects. I think that's so interesting. And I actually was witness to one of these meetings um, once. And you guys, you have a PowerPoint presentation and you kind of go around the room and you talk about what causes are important and you have a discussion about what you're going to support, right? And yes. how, who's going to be involved and how you're going to do it. And everybody has a voice at that table in the family, right? Yes. And Lisa's really worked at even having the children pick uh, some organization or, or uh, you know, area that they want to be involved in. So When you say the children, you mean your children or your grandchildren? Grandchildren. Grandchildren. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're tasked with giving back. Uh, like the youngest one was involved with a, a rescue pet uh, animal shelter in his neighborhood. So there's constantly a way of looking to get them involved um, early. And I've seen you all have sort of a, both a strategic and a sort of emotional connection to the philanthropies that you select. You are very strategic because you do have these meetings about it and you sort of plan how you're going to support each of the causes. But then there's also an emotional component because everybody gets to pick, you know, what what sort of make rings a bell for them or what makes them feel um the need to right. be involved and at any given moment like after hurricane maria we were all focused on what initiatives could take place in puerto rico right so so loose let's talk a little bit then about the miranda family fund right it's it's monies that we have donated into the hispanic federation that then get targeted for the projects that we want it's a sizable sum that you know from year to year uh depending on you know yearly proceeds but um so from there we've all uh devised different projects that then get funded like right after hurricane maria and, and the federation has also contributed so it's not just all our money like um following the hurricane one of the big initiatives that went into place in puerto rico was a mental health initiative where at the university of puerto rico the Department of, of Psychology, Social Work, and Psychiatric Rehab got together and with their students went out into the hard-hit communities to do a variety of different interventions. And it wasn't immediately after, it was like the year after, but the the effects of the trauma that were so long uh, following the immediate event um, 
really left that entire population traumatized, but it was worse in the areas that were worse hit. So that um, program went on for three years and wound up covering the earthquakes as well. And then the beginning of COVID. I mean, it was like, talk about... A triple um, whammy, yeah. Absolutely. So so that one has now um, subsided. But that was really important at the time, as well as other initiatives that Louise undertook uh, with agriculture and with just even initially feeding communities. And he, because of his knowledge of the island, went directly to municipalities. He did not go to the government, which can be more of a hindrance than a help, and was able to begin delivering food and getting um, lots of uh, materials available to people within a week or so of the hurricane striking. He is a man of action. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, let's. Be, I was going to start, I want to talk about all the amazing things that you do, but before we leave Luis and your family. Um, We're not leaving Luis. We can't okay. leave him. <laughs> um, can you tell everybody the story of how you two got together? I just think it's so romantic. And, you know, again, um, we're talking about what an amazing family you have. And you just, you said that the, the secret sauce is really your marriage. So can you just talk about like the beginnings of Luis and Luis? Well, Luis was, had finished college with a 4.0 at 18. And the director of uh, clinical psych at NYU at the time was recruiting a very diverse class. He wanted half the class to be diverse and half the class to be majority. So he went to the um, University of Puerto Rico and recruited students. And Luis was one of the students that he recruited. So he began and he was two years ahead of me, even though I'm older than him. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually met during the, um, he interviewed me for the program, uh, although he didn't because he arrived too late. He had been at a protest, <laughs> but we got to meet then. And we were in classes and activities for two years before we started going out. And our first date was in April and we were married in September. <laughs> and you just knew. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. In some ways, because I I had known him for two years and I had um, observed so much, I can remember even telling him that I knew whoever married him was going to have an amazing life and was going to be a very lucky person. Pitching myself, kind Mm. of. (laughs) (laughs) And and what about the significance of the Rainbow Room? Wasn't that your first date or something? No, no. We actually went to... A concert, Hacienda Punto en Otro Song. We went to a nightclub at El Corso, uh, and that was our, our first date, was two different activities. The Corso is no longer there. It was this great nightclub on 86th Street back in the day. Wow. So now let's talk a little bit about you, separate and apart from your family, if we can do that. Um, your story is so compelling, and you've been so honest in talking about your story. Um I think about that time that Louis, that Lynn um, interviewed you for the Planned Parenthood. Um, and I guess there's sort of three buckets. There's the mental health bucket, there's um, Planned Parenthood, and then there's sort of the theatrical, you know, the American theater wing bucket. But, um, you know, personally, mental health is one of the top causes that, that I, um, you know, am involved in supporting these days. I just think that 
the more individuals in society that get help that they need and the support they need, the better we're all going to be because it affects so many other issues. Um, you're a psychologist, a psychoanalyst. Um, what are your biggest concerns about mental health in the country or in the world today? And what support do you think can and should be provided? Jan, since I was in graduate school, I've, and I've always had the sense that early childhood is huge and important, the, the absence of support for mothers and families in this country, I think, is just appalling. From, from pregnancy on, given the ch child death uh, and maternal death rates, but um, a, a person's capacity to withstand a lot of conflict and turbulence in their lives is often, um, well, not often, is determined by how solid your early foundation is. The first three years of our life are huge. I'm, I've been very, very involved in the under, trying to understand and support uh, interventions related to attachment. I've been uh, in a study group for over 20 years. I'm in another group that's involved with attachment because they're finding more and more that the types of attachment that get developed and they are predictable at four months. You can observe the attachment pattern at four months and see it replicated at 12 months. There are videotapes of moms and you study one sixteenth of a slide of a second and you see a tremendous amount of subliminal stimulation that goes on that you can't capture with the naked eye that is shaping that attachment. It is fascinating. And that's one thing that is underplayed in the medical field. I did a presentation at the American Academy of Pediatrics and was invited to another conference because pediatricians it give very, very uh, attention to attachment in general. And the more attachment is recognized as a real linchpin in the development of a person, the um, the sooner people are going to be able to better appreciate the importance of, say, paid family leave following you know, a birth and things of that nature. But attachment, Jan, is huge, and it impacts uh, your your adult functioning for the rest of your life. You will see these patterns. Yeah, it's amazing. I see it, I see it in my family. Explain the I, the idea. I just um, we were talking at dinner the other night, um, you and I, about this book that I was reading that was by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry, um, called "What Happened to You," um, that talks about this early attachment. And I, it, it was, you know, I thought I knew a lot about this, but I, after talking to you and after reading that book, I was my mind was blown that it happens so early in in life, four months old, and. What is it like? What would healthy attachment look like, and what does non-healthy attachment look like? And then, what can we do to support people that need help? It well, in the most disturbed dyads, what you see is a mother's failure to recognize the baby's state, and the majority of this is nonverbal, so that um, the child. Um, isn't you know the the instructions during the videotaping are that you're supposed to play with your child. Some parents feel compelled to try to make the child be very active. They'll they'll loom in. They'll 
over shake the baby or try to get them to um, be responsive. But when there's too much of an effort with that attuning to where the baby is, what you wind up getting are kids that are averting and trying to just get away from the overstimulating parent or they'll, or they'll get distressed or they'll shut down. That you actively see kids trying to avoid the stimulation and the, and the uh, connection to this parent who's clearly unattuned versus even with a little quiet baby, just trying to have them see you and you see them and just figuring out where they are and following them Meet versus them where getting they are. them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the attention to their response to your cues is huge. And it's sad because, like, I've, I've known lots of moms say um, that it's stupid to talk to babies because they don't understand them. They don't know. Uh, they just find it silly somehow rather than not understanding that that's how a baby will, one, learn language, and two, potentially be very soothed depending on what their state is. But so much of it is huge, huge. And you've worked so hard um, in helping women who are underserved. And so imagine being a mom and, you know, maybe you don't have a great marriage or you don't have um, a partner that's helping you with this, with this child and you're working and you've got other kids and you're stressed out, you know, and that affects, you know, the baby as well. Right. 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 I once ran an early childhood program. Actually it was during the mid eighties, the height of the crack epidemic. My therapeutic nursery had mostly grandmothers with their toddlers coming in because the, the mothers had gotten caught up in the epidemic. Um, but the other, the other issue is depending on the, you know, for first moms tend to be anxious so that there'll be some anxiety, but the more they're able to see the responsiveness of their baby, the calmer they, they get. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of, a lot of it is getting to know the baby and then how to elicit a um, a connection and then be able to w- work on how to soothe the baby. Because that, you know, it's interesting because when I work with parents, what I would tell them is your job as a parent, especially with a baby, is to have them cry as little as possible. You know, there's this myth, at least in the Hispanic community that if you pick up the baby every time it cries you're spoiling him I said no 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 no. you cannot spoil a newborn or even up to a one-year-old you can't spoil them what you're letting them know is that no matter what happens you're there for them it's the foundation of trust and and comfort gosh so that whole theory about letting your baby cry for three nights so that it'll sleep through the night no no no, no, well now I know where I went wrong But but to this day, there's lots of these structured sleep, you know, it's interesting because I will often tell parents uh, that providing the care that they need now doesn't mean that there's going to be a mistake. Like I, um, kids sometimes are afraid they won't sleep in their own beds. Right. I, with both of my kids, I would put a chair next to the bed. I would not get in the bed with them because the body warmth is something that they will then miss when once you leave the bed, even if they're asleep. So I would sit next to their bed until they fell asleep, no matter how long it took, mm-hmm. and soothe them and sang to them. And so that's where so that's where Lynn gets his um, his singing. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> this little guy 
my the the funniest story is I he was born in January, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve we went out. The, we went to a club. The music would start. The baby would start. The music would stop. The baby would stop. After about three numbers, I said, Louise, I'm too pregnant. I can't stay here. This kid's not going to... Every time the music starts, I can't... I can't <laughs> So he was responding in utero. That's to hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But let's go back to, um, you know, speaking of Lynn. So you and Lynn and I worked together um, on a big fundraiser for Planned Parenthood um, yes. back in 2017, right after the election. And yes. it was um, a record-breaking um, fundraiser that we worked on. And people were so... Um, they just wanted to do something. They wanted to give. And there, there was so much uh, um, strife going on. And so many people were reacting to the election news. But you were such a vocal person. And you and Lynn did this campaign together for Planned Parenthood. What the, people think that Planned Parenthood's only about abortion. Planned Parenthood provides so much general care and medical care, uh, not just terminations or counseling uh, regarding pregnancy. So that people get uh, tested for cancers, for STDs, and general well-being. Right now, because there's restrictions in Texas, uh, what's most needed is um, funds to help with the, the legal battles that are taking place there. So the Action Fund helps with voting and with um, trying to shape legal cases to allow for women to be able to uh, exercise their choices. So um, people who are interested in, in helping uh, should uh, look to donate to the Planned Parent Action Fund or Planned Parenthood Votes. Um, th- these are not, n- not deductible dollars, but they're very much needed dollars in order to um, uh, fight against these efforts to restrict women's bodies. Um, and then there's also the International Pro Familias Organization. Um, can uh, you talk, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Planned Parenthood, there's the national organization in the United States, and then there's been this international, uh, which are very separate entities. So Puerto Rico had a choice of becoming part of the national, and they chose to become part of the international. So when I got to know Pro uh, Familias in Puerto Rico, what I learned was that um, that organization every year gives a fixed amount of money no matter what happens. So after Hurricane Maria, 
they got no additional dollars and were struggling to reopen and provide service. What we also learned was that um, their abortion providers were, one was in his late 60s, the other one was in his 70s. Uh, and there were, a, you know, there had got, they had gotten some monies to assist women who couldn't afford abortions, uh, but those funds were running out. Um, so with our fund and with the help of the Federation, we've started a um, education program where the uh, primary person who does terminations in Puerto Rico has been teaching and certifying other docs in the procedure. So there have been like four cycles of three doctors being trained. So there's now like a dozen more doctors, two of which have been hired to help at the clinic in order to ensure that the service can go forward. Training in abortions is not required or provided necessarily in medical school or residency programs. Really? Which it, really. Wow. So that's why there was such a dearth of providers in Puerto Rico. And now with having provided funds for training these docs, it's like a three-month cycle and you're trained. But that is not provided in residencies or medical. So it's not required. Um, Then the second one is we've provided funds because there's a lot of women who can't afford termination. So we've subsidized them. And then the third uh, project within Pro Familias has been just sex education and information regarding the access, as well as uh, there's been a, there was a real spike after the hurricane and domestic violence and uh, pregnancies resulting from uh, mm-hmm. domestic violence. So um, we there's been an increase in many more, especially younger women, coming forward and seeking services because they've been um, survivors of assaults. Well, I know that Planned Parenthood is, um, you know, as you said, it's so much more than just, you know, a place where you go to get abortions. You know, people Absolutely. get their health care there. You have a very personal relationship to Planned Parenthood because they helped you when you were younger, right? Right. That's where I would go for birth control. I, uh, when I was in college, I went there. I think I told you in the podcast I had uh, cancer at 19 and my endocrinologist, who was this stuffy older man, could tell from the uh, blood panel that I was on contraceptive. So, uh, and I was on it for a short period of time. He said, so if you insist on such behavior, I suggest you get a diaphragm. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. I'm taking care of myself, dude. What's wrong with you? Right. Well, changing those attitudes, but, you know, one step at a time. And, you know, I never, I never realized until we had gotten closer that, Planned Parenthood, there was this international and then national, and they were different, and and how they helped people and supported people in different ways. Um, right. And I and I didn't realize that Puerto Rico had chosen the international Planned Parenthood. Right. So they get they, they, a little. Some of the affiliates, because of their connection to people that they know in Puerto Rico, provided support after Hurricane Maria. But there's no official support. Although I've raised at the national that our Supreme Court's going to have jurisdiction over what happens there, so there really needs to be some legal liaison between. The two, because there is an impact. Right. It's really, it's, it's dicey. It is dicey. 
Um, well, yeah. we're so grateful that you're on that board and that you're working on behalf of all these, um, you know, women who, who need that support. Um, speaking of boards, you're also on the American Theater Wing board. Um, yes. So uh, I wondered these days, what is your role on the board or what, and what is the mission of the board on the wing? A, a big uh, interest of the board has been to make it more diverse. And there is a... Um, a recognition of the need to make the great white way not so white. <laughs> well, and the other piece of that that goes perfectly with that role that you have at the American Theater Wing is the fact that you are also helping to create a pipeline of artists of color and people of color to work in the theater through your fellowships. Oh, yes. My son is really big on that. He's got uh, a fellowship program and a funds a fellowship at uh, the O'Neill um, up in Connecticut. So it's real. It's interesting because they their the most recent initiative was uh, the role of casting. They got a, a fellow in a casting office as well, which should lead to expanding the diversity of individuals being cast. But if there are no diverse casters, how do you get, you know? Exactly. So yeah, so it's a very nice uh, addition to what they've been doing. Going back to this idea of being philanthropic, you know, a lot of people have, obviously you are setting the stage for, you know, your family, for your kids and your grandkids, which you, you talked about. But what about you? When you were, you know, when you were a child and did you see somebody model like sort of philanthropic behavior? Were your parents and your family, were they involved in giving back in the community? How did you come about this? Well, I think I grew up more in the Catholic model where you went to church and you, you paid, you, you put money in the basket, and when there were special collections, uh, you gave for, you know, knowing that there were others that were in need. Um, but we, if we didn't have the means to actually be involved in a lot, lot of philanthropy. And I think even when Lisa and I were you know, living paycheck to paycheck for so many years. Um, we always did set aside a little bit. Like I always sent money to Planned Parenthood. I always sent money to Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. You know, the, there were these little pet. Um, I love the doc that is in Haiti, the Partners in Health. So there have been lots of different little projects. And so we just gave a little bit each year within the extent that we could um, uh, afford it. Uh, but now it's, you know, turned into a much larger, you know, project. But you and Luis have always, you know, given your blood, sweat and, you know, your your time to good causes. And, oh, you know, that's the other piece of this, too, is it's not always about the money, um, but it's also about, I mean, look at the involvement. You're on so many boards and you do so much. Um, so it's right. The Community Mental Health Clinic up in Washington Heights. I was an administrator at Bronx Lab at the time, came in, did the paperwork because I knew what the paperwork was to hire the, the staff and the director and exited. So I, I did, there were two small projects before the clinic opened and once the clinic opened, they kept me on. So I've been working um, in a limited capacity, having begun all those programs in a clinic in Washington Heights for over 20 years. 
Now I'm in a clinic once a, a day in the heart of the South Bronx, which has, a, and it's interesting because the state has developed what's called a CCBHC. It's a comprehensive uh, mental health and substance abuse combination program. They're, they're rolling out, recognizing that mental health and substance abuse are co-related. Mm. People that have addictions usually have significant difficulties in their self-medicating. So the state, in its wisdom, has rolled out these programs that require you now to take care of people with significant substance abuse disorders, where prior to just a few years ago, if they had an addiction, you didn't see them at a mental health clinic. And now, now that work is being done together. And that work is so important that you do that. It's huge. It's huge. You know, your family, um, and I say your family, not just your son, um, but your family has so many fans and so many people that love you um, and follow you in social media and are interested in, in what you're doing and what you're saying. And I wondered, what advice would you give about um, being a person who cares and making a difference in the world? How would you advise one of your fans to you know, to be philanthropic or to be a person who gives back or be of service? Well, again, it would depend on what their particular lane is and to find a way to be of service and the value in that lane, basically. Yeah. Like I, I pretty much stick in mental health because I, I know it. I, I, I can't get into the arts because that's just not my field. Although Luis dabbles in a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you're also you're on the American Theater Wing board, and you're on the Gilder Lerman board, so you're dabbling oh, in true. arts too. So yeah, you've got a true. you've got a few lanes. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's true. Well, all I know is that the world is a better place because you are in it, and because you do have a few lanes that you give back to. And you know, we're so appreciative that you took this time today to talk to us. And uh, I'm going to give you the last word. Any anything you want to say before we sign off? Um. We just have to keep trying to live our best lives. That's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you because you definitely make our lives better. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. You too, by the way. Love you. Bye-bye. Love you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, editor, and friend, Jim Lochner. And thank you to everyone at BPN, including Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Kimberly Garris. I'd also like to thank Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency and Eric Becker from Broderick Street Music. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit bpn.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.